Autonomous driving and ADAS. Progress towards the big vision. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast, whether at live events or in the digital world. We bring together cool, promising tech startups with exciting, innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to three outstanding guests on our panel, all three of whom will be an asset due to their expertise in autonomous driving and ADAS. Let's start with Georg List as Vice President of Corporate Strategy at AVL. AVL is the world's largest independent company for development, simulation and testing in the automotive industry and in many other sectors. Drawing on its pioneering spirit, the company provides concepts, solutions and methodologies to shape future mobility trends. Our second guest is Dr. Sascha Zemmler as Head of Innovation Continental Business Area Autonomous Mobility at Continental Automotive Distance Control Systems. Continental is one of the well-known Tier 1 suppliers and develops pioneering technologies and services for sustainable and connected mobility. And last but not least, I would like to introduce our third guest, Bernhard Müller-Bessler, as Head of Autonomous Solutions at Hexagon Manufacturing Intelligence. Hexagon is a global leader in digital reality solutions, combining sensors, software, and autonomous technologies in manufacturing, infrastructure, public sector, mobility applications, and other areas. And now let's dive into our panel discussion, Autonomous Driving and ADAS, Progress Towards the Big Vision. Georg, let's stay with the title of our panel for a quick analysis. The big vision is, of course, fully autonomous driving. Just about 10 years ago, this was not only seen as a vision, but it was also thought to be just around the corner. We know now that this is not the case. That what were the biggest sobering moments when you look back on the last 10 years? Yeah, you always start with the difficult questions first, right? So not an easy one. First of all, it, it appeals to my long-term memory, big question. And, and secondly, uh, it asks me to prioritize. But I came at this topic from a strategist and my really my first sobering moment was that first hype. Let's say between 10 and eight years ago, when everybody says it's just around the corner, I just couldn't see that happening. And I was really scared also by, by it. To a certain extent, fortunately, it didn't work out this way. Yeah. Because it untangled a little bit uh, the whole hype and people were thinking about technology as a, uh, the technology roadmaps and also the market roadmaps and also the customer roadmaps, right? When is the customer ready to do all this? So first sobering moment eight years ago, I would say. The second sobering moment when the first wave of big collaborations, right? The big announcement and then... Uh, collaborations fell apart, uh, then you kind of went, ooh, how, how real is this and how, how soon are we going to see something? But that's sort of three, four years ago. And since then, we've had so many sobering moments aside from ADAS. 
with COVID and war and uh, economic crisis and I don't know what, uh, that uh, I, I don't know where to start. But the two sobering moments of why does there have to be a hype and then when the collaborations fell apart, th those were for me important. Thank you very much. I guess we will try to, uh, let's say, solve at least just the technical topics. So I, that's definitely um, outside of my reach, let's say, to, to talk about the other topics. But let's also continue with the challenges, with the problems, with the issues, with, let's say, what makes your life more complicated. And Sasha, for you also, I, I guess I start really with the, with the most complicated questions, but you as head of innovation, continental business area, autonomous mobility, You know the latest and most exciting ADAS projects internally, but also externally. For example, when you do this screening of innovations from the startup sector. So in order to find solutions, you have to know the pain points, the challenges, and be able to name them. So what are the biggest difficulties in this area from the technical point of view? Yeah, let's say the topic is on the one side, we are a system supplier or solution provider. So this means we have to have a good overview of what are the systems which are required in the market in the future, now, but also in the future. Based on that, of course, you can say there are certain areas where we are really competent. We want to, let's say, use that, that knowledge, what we have. But there are also certain areas where we say there would be great to partner with or it's a white spot. And then, of course, you go for the screening of the different companies you have on one side and uh, collaborations and talks and proof of concept, etc., On the other side, it's also coming a little, bit, a little bit from the other side. For example, even if the system was somehow defined, what are really the challenging and interesting topics a new startups can provide? Additional functionality we not even thought of. No? So all of this comes together. And then at the end where you say, these are really the great partners we would like to go for. And they, of course, would also like to go with Continental. Then the, let's say, for me, the most challenging and interesting topic is then basically how we're working together. Because on the one side, you have these large companies, Continental is one of them. There are certain processes and topics behind it. You have to follow procedures. And then there are the startups, super fast. They would like to have the results by tomorrow. And how to combine these strengths, the speed or at innovation top power from the startups, but also the safety-related aspects of the larger company. And that's really something uh, where it's then about the culture of the different partners of us to adapt yeah, and to really create a, and, and create a really a trustful relationship and understanding the mutual needs, our needs, their needs, but also the mutual and reciprocal needs. yeah, And by that, um, having then the culture that you can really work together and something positive comes out of it. Yeah? And that's for me really one of the most important topics. Yeah? Do I see that correctly, actually, when you focus now that the biggest challenge is uh, like really how to collaborate together so that you bring, let's say, the, the highest benefit for both sides. But do I understand that correctly, that the technical solutions are actually available? So that is not the, the issue. Is that correct? No, that, I mean, there are certain areas as well where we say on the technology side, we would like, for example, you can go this way. We are certain, we are bringing in certain IP The partner brings in or the partners bring in certain IP. But then there are also areas where you say we really have to work much more closely together and we want to create joint IP as well. So it doesn't mean that it's only like the Lego building blocks and you take that, but also that you are, of course, then also adapting the solutions yeah, and really work together and not as two, three, four separate companies, but as if you are the same team because you are the same team. Yeah? Mm -hmm. 
So there might be certain partners, of course, where you can say, oh, that's something we can take immediately. But usually there should always be a feedback. Are the use cases we would like to do, are they covered? Are there certain topics? Are there false positives which might be, for example, addressed? So therefore, I think this innovation power and the speed, it really lives by communication and not only one flow. So actually a huge human factor still involved in that, if it works or, or not, if it will be a success or not. Yeah. Bernhard, for you, I have not a challenging question, but actually, first of all, clarifying question, because there's Hexagon AB, a global leader in digital reality solution. There's Hexagon Manufacturing Intelligent. And then there was also announcement just very recently in the end of February that Hexagon had acquired ETQ, a leading provider of software as a service based quality management system. So environment, health and safety and compliance management. And now the precise question is actually, What knowledge and expertise do you have at Hexagon currently? So what is the positioning of company? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's not a challenging question, actually. But on the other hand, you are right. I mean, first of all, Hexagon is not that well known in the community yet. This is also because we are kind of uh, starting, we were starting, I would say, late in that kind of field. Uh, so we're well known in some other fields, but within the autonomous, we had just started some years ago by acquisition, but also by our own developments. And uh, Hexagon itself is kind of in that area like of sensors, but also in, uh, in software and autonomous technologies. And autonomous also means it's not just autonomous vehicles, but it's also autonomy in some other fields here. As well, they, they are working on, for example, like uh, autonomous uh, manufacturing, for example, this is like a very important field as well. And it's kind of the right combination out of these three things, which kind of uh, makes it really interesting. So there's many industries we're working with. Again, autonomous vehicles is, is uh, I would say, fairly new to Exelon. This latest acquisition of ETQ, for example, also points out the quality which is really uh, needed in, in, in that area. And this is something where we all struggle with in the end. It's like vehicles were so far more or less driven by humans and they kind of the, the driving quality was coming from the human, right? Now, uh, when we turn it into autonomous vehicles, the quality has to come from the manufacturer and the components. So this is also this leads to a complete new definition of quality. And it also crosses all through the, the whole development and manufacturing process of vehicles in the meantime. So it's not just talking about, uh, talking about the autonomous driving stack. It's also talking about the different components, the, also the mechanical components, and all the, the whole processes and workflows are all affected. That is uh, kind of a field which is uh, like, you know, has to be tackled very carefully. And this is also, we need to turn that into high quality workflows in order to kind of turn out uh, um, autonomous vehicles in the end. And ETQ is just one example of an acquisition we just did recently in, in that area. What is new for me is uh, absolutely that you are involved also in autonomous manufacturing. So actually robotics now, when I understand it correctly. So, and when you say that you are also beyond uh, automotive sector, so where one can find you as well? In which sectors exactly? It's almost all the industries we are working with in the meantime. Uh, so it's, if I should even say auto, um, automotive industry is one of the smallest one, uh, ones up to, up to now. So, uh, which is, uh, which is also kind of interesting. We are building that challenge. Uh, this is also why, uh, like uh, specific parts of the companies of Hexagon are really kind of getting more and more attention because that, of course, I mean, as we all know, there's a lot of kind of, you know, in brackets music in that field. Uh, so it's a lot of things we can really learn here, budget-wise, but also learn from experience-wise here. This is going to get a lot of more more traction step-by-step step here within Hexagon. Uh, so it's really all industries in the meantime. Some of them are very visible. If you look at the Hexagon website, there might be some industries like from autonomous 
point of view, looking into mining, for example, this is a, a very kind of, you know, appealing kind of industry here. But also agriculture is something uh, which you can see there. Uh, but of course, there's also bigger fields uh, we're looking into, like, you know, uh, personal transport, but also logistics and so on. Now, just talking about autonomous. And for the other kind of, for the other fields, it's almost every, it's really almost every industry. Thank you very much. Actually, now we go, let's say, more in the direction of uh, being a development partner for many companies, like, like for example, uh, AVL does that. So, Georg, AVL is really known to be this development partner for many, many companies. So what special role does a development company play in the ADAS development environment? So what are the requirements for you and what tasks does the automotive industry confront you with? I think we, we have to separate out different types of customers that come to us because we, we get quite different challenges from different types of customers. Yeah? So there are big tech companies or big tech startups that, uh, that go in the, in, into autonomous driving and create their own cars, for example. They have very different uh, requirements, obviously, than uh, somebody like uh, Sasha, who is much more in a sort of deep, deep technology area already and will have very different requirements or the bigger OEMs that, uh, that face integration challenges, for example. But let me put it this way. So, so what we see relatively often is questions as to how to set up the requirements and therefore structure the architecture, etc. So very early in the process. Yeah. Then, uh, like Bernhard mentioned, there are some applications that don't have a huge scale. So uh, we also get questions about special functions. And, and that could be in mining, that could be in agriculture, but, but that's also special logistics or uh, transportation challenges. Where, where there are just companies uh, that cannot, that, that will not have a, a huge scale to develop uh, algorithms and uh, develop AI, etc. And then the third, and I would say biggest at the moment, is validation. Is really, uh, you know, phew, uh, I have a system, I'm making changes to the system, I have, uh, how do I validate? And that, that's uh, what we're asked for, I think, uh, I would say at the moment most. So validation is the biggest sector, let's say, for you, but also... It sounded like you are very open also to this kind of special projects, so with the low scaling ability. So you don't mind also to work with smaller players. No, it's a very natural thing for us to do, because we we in in a certain way we can be an aggregator of these functions. We know many of these applications from our, you know, traditional engineering business, and therefore we 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 don't need a lot of startup investment to build up a competence, etc. And, and we can work with them on be that functional development or software development or specific questions uh, very, very quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now actually we stay in that topic because uh, for Sasha, I have uh, actually very, very similar question because now we heard, let's say, where the requirements come from for, for AVL. And now where do the impulses for new developments in your company come from? So more from the OEM side or also like built on your own initiative? Yeah, that's a good question. It is coming from really different sources. Actually, my, one of my first job actually was related to systems, global chassis control, vehicle dynamics. And the question there was not so much um, fulfilling directly the requirements and specifications from the customer, but to think what is actually the added value of certain actuators like active steering, um, for example, or rear wheel steering or dampers, and then could provide you know, ESC intervention using steering, for example. And therefore, I think it's very important um, that on the one side you regenerate what is what is the overall application or the system you would you would need, and how 
would be the building blocks related to that. And then to go, of course, in the discussions with the OEMs, but also at conference, for example, in discussions with colleagues from, from the same industry, from other tier ones, yeah, um, or with partners with universities. Yeah? So I really believe that this exchange is something which really brings us forward. Yeah? And one example was the camera belt yeah, years ago. So the, the question was how to realize a camera belt around the car so that with the cameras, plus radar and lighter, you have the possibility to really see what's going on. What is the resolutions you would require? And uh, what, we, what we did is, There is a setup. We really believe in that setup. It fits to the specifications or requirements we had in mind. And we started discussions with the OEMs. And finally, oops, the OEM is uh, buying these satellite cameras because it fulfills what the OEM requires. Yeah? And of course, some discussions tuning here and there. So I think that's really important that you have an own opinion of what is needed. But then always to double check with what is it what the customer, but also maybe the end customer would need yeah so that you keep that somehow in mind and then as i said if you have this combination of your own thoughts of the discussions with the customer slash end customer with tier ones with other colleagues at conferences or so you really get a comprehensive picture and then also this picture gets better and better actually especially in the beginning what you said it sounds for me very much like actually applied research so you you have a challenge You make your own research based on very pragmatic solutions which you envision in the future, and let's say, and you start from that, and not from the requirement from the coming from the customer, let's say, be it OEM, for example. Né? So, does it sound similar to what I understand? Let's say, like this kind of applied research. It's actually both. Né? I mean, on the one side, you can have the dream on this is how the system would look like. It must also be, of course, affordable. And then you come to a certain um, certain system which works. But then there are also certain needs depending on the customer you have. Yeah, That this is the requirements and specifications and you have to fulfill them. And that's okay as well. Né? Because then this overall is in, is fulfilling the need of the respective OEM, which uh, which has to deliver a certain product. Né? But I think it's important to know both. Yeah? And not to be still somewhere in, in, in a chair, not commenting anything yeah, and say, yes, we will do everything. No, to really, I, I really believe that this exchange is something which makes the product at the end better. Yeah? And going for requirements and specifications as they're done by the OEM is fine as well. But you have to see both sides. Yeah? Another example is this transparent hood. That's something I really love. Yeah? Uh, you know what? So satellite cameras are on the car. You're driving with the car. So you know how the projections of the of the road would be or when you're somewhere outside of the road. Yeah? And what do we do? We actually, using that information of your surroundings and showing the driver how the vehicle would look like if there was no no hood at all. Yeah? You could look down there. Yeah? Using the information, the camera and the, and the video footage we had from before yeah? and adjusting for speed and maneuvers. And that's also some, some, some awesome functionality. We approached an OEM and voila, we also got the award for that kind of functionality. So I think it, it's more important than in the past. We really have to show some advanced topics. You have to open up your mind. You have to be somewhere in, at least in Continental. It's really, really important to have a system knowledge, system view, your own thoughts. And then it is also much more fun yeah, to do certain topics. Yeah. 
Especially, you know, you have always to balance, okay, uh, you have a huge advantage because you are that big, but you have also a big disadvantage because you are that big, you know? So therefore, yeah. I guess in the end, it's anyway a huge, huge balance. And now, actually, my question to Bernard, the, the new technology companies, they have also brought a huge uh, influence, a huge enthusiasm uh, to automotive technology development. How have they disrupted the conventional development work and how do you manage to understand the market and transfer that in form of offered products? Yeah, so I actually like that uh, that market very much. I also stayed personally like uh, three years in, in Silicon Valley and worked there. So uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, real world experience here uh, in between uh, Germany and Silicon Valley. Uh, so very, very different worlds here. Both are, you know, very valid and uh, also vital to and kind of, uh, you know, get the whole kind of ecosystem running. So what I'm seeing is basically four points here. It's like uh, maybe the first one is kind of really brings, of course, that's pretty obvious, like really fresh thoughts and uh, to, to traditional players, right? Uh, it's kind of uh, the something to hate approach for, for the traditional economy. This is also well needed. If I remember back uh, like 15 years, 10, 15 years ago, it was like they hated that community. In the meantime, it's really part of the whole strategy of the bigger companies. So this kind of turned the whole thing around. What I'm also seeing, and that is also turning to the second point here, uh, being part of those uh, traditional players in the meantime, is kind of some are kind of really lowering their research budgets because kind of and, and you know, kind of lowering the barrier in order to kind of um, do some kind of A activities here in order to kind of get lower the risk on on research side and you know acquire those companies at a certain stage where you can already see technology is uh, applicable or it's already turned into a product and the market wants to have it or it's even scalable right so this is also to some extent also a little bit dangerous uh, because what you can see is also uh, you're buying in the end single point solutions right from those players now the question at some point is how do you connect those single point solutions and what i'm also seeing and uh, is uh, some companies are now asking for can i buy you know, players who can connect those single point solutions. And it's like, no, you can't buy it. You have to do it on your own, right? Kind of build the interfaces and so on. This is kind of your own kind of engagement. And the third point is uh, probably um, the scaling expertise in markets, which are is another kind of problem here. And also at the same time, it's uh, it's an opportunity. It's in, we are with autonomous driving and also software development, which ties a little bit together here, of course, in some areas. It's in the middle of the war of talents, right? Uh, so these kind of companies also kind of build and uh, build that expertise we need. And this is also why you see a lot of like equity hires uh, in that area, of course, as well. So this lowers the risk on the other hand, also for, for those companies in, the, in this particular market, at least in other markets, it's very different in order to get acquired at some point of time if, if you want to. And the fourth point is how do we handle this? It's also, it's tying into that part of the question of your question is, uh, is landscape, of course, landscaping the market. I think every player is doing that who is taking that serious. Uh, but the question is how you do that. And I think this is uh, kind of, um, you know, it, it's been handled differently. What we are doing here is like we're getting into early discussions with with with, with interesting players uh, in order to learn early on what is their core technology, what they are working on. We are for some, like intentionally not steering them too much because that's, I think it's, in, in especially in early phases, the wrong way to, to handle this. Uh, they should all find their own way because we want to have that innovation in the end. So let them innovate in, in the beginning. But also talk to them in terms of what, where is the market, uh, where, do, where, do can, where can you find uh, low-hanging fruits, how can that be integrated in what you already have? Maybe already prepare them in terms of like M&A acquisition, M&A, or M&A, uh, like acquiring them. 
it not only has to be only your own company you're working with, you can also kind of uh, recommend them to other companies, potentially, potentially building a bigger network here, right, with other companies as well. So sometimes uh, it's a great solution, but it doesn't fit in your own portfolio. So why not recommending them to somebody else that might fit better, right? That also helps, also helps on a long-term kind of relationship here. And uh, what you can see here, I can go on with that, but it's like, it's, uh, it's a certain kind of mentality of, pulling and pushing at the same time, you know, at, uh, at different kind of pieces in order to, in order to do that. The most important thing here is like, do it actively, do it early enough, right? Uh, in order to be connected, see the results early enough and kind of stay together with them. The last one that we are also doing, I mean, that's very obvious. We also kind of invite some of them to our own conferences. Uh, we, you know, have a Hexagon. We are kind of um, having usually in a, on a yearly basics what we call Hexagon Live. It's a specific event this time. I think it's like hybrid. Uh, some part of it is in, in Las Vegas. And we are kind of inviting those companies also to have talks there. And they're, of course, very thankful to do that because it's like, you know, it's widening up their, their audience there. It gets them to, into other discussions with other players and so on. So just, you know, a small cutoff on how we're handling this. Actually, very, very insightful. And I'm super curious also what you learned also from this time being in Silicon Valley when it comes to innovation. What was like the, I don't know, top three key learnings? Because I guess you have like hundreds of them. <laughs> yeah, top three is not that easy. But I think first of all, I mean, the, the American culture, but especially Silicon Valley. So this Silicon Valley is not, not US culture. That is also, we should separate that. And California is also not US. So there are some cultural differences here, which are huge sometimes. Um, but of course, uh, one thing is like, uh, it's, um, they, they are starting um, with, with a very pragmatic way. You know, uh, that, that's what, one of the first key learnings. Uh, and uh, I'm not saying we should all start this way, you know, uh, but there is uh, definitely, you know, uh, room for some players to start in a pragmatic way. You know? Second thing is uh, they have a very straight focus. I'm not seeing that that, uh, you know, that straight in like in, 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 in German startups, for example. Sometimes they are kind of, you know, they are a little bit unsorted. For most of the uh, Silicon Valley startups, they are very, very, very focused. And this is also, of course, they are working with their VCs together in order to get this focus, find that focus, and then, you know, shoot for it. And then it's uh, kind of what Sasha already mentioned is kind of uh, be fast, right? Because the, one, of the, one of the great points of small companies, it's you can be fast, right? Uh, there's, not a, there's usually one guy who can decide everything, right? Do the systems, be fast. Uh, so if you do 51% of the decisions right, you're on the right track, right? <laughs> and then again, we come to that, what Sasha said, it's like it's the right balance. Okay, they want to collaborate with bigger players, but how to balance that so that you keep that pace and... Don't collaborate too early. Uh, so ignore the ignore the big players uh, for for quite some time, right? Uh, talk to them uh, definitely. Learn from them, right? Definitely, but not get biased with them, right? Mm -hmm. Too early. L later on, it's a different game, but not in the beginning. Super. Thank you very much. Actually, now we are getting a bit more technical. So, Georg, question for you: A very important and very exciting topic at the moment is which sensors are really required for autonomous driving? The big question actually at all, no? so maybe technically. Uh, what expectations do you have with regards to the potential of the sensor type speed, radar, be it LiDAR or cameras? Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, connect to what Sasha said before. I mean, first of all, we are, we are typically not free to choose our own sensors. Yeah, So our customers have 
let's say they have a strategy. Some of them call it philosophy, and some, but with some it's religion. Yeah, uh, which sensors they use and where, where, what they bet on. Yeah, and so we need to be ready and competent on all the sensors. And for example, when we do validation in our own solutions. Uh, we have, for example, a, a rooftop box we call the digital ground truth. But essentially, it is a it is a reference sensor set that measures what the cars measure, and then afterwards you can compare what the cars measured and the reference box measured. So you need good you need good sensors in that uh, reference box up up there, and obviously you you have uh, GPS, you have. Or GNSS, you have you have uh, radar, lidar, camera, everything represented, because you need that uh, to to create a full picture. The, the the second part to the answer though is you know uh, we also have to do our research and we also have to do uh, we also have to see where the where the where the future is lying, and that comes with with especially with kind of. I would call that stream not the customer driven, but uh, the the curiosity and innovation driven. Right, you want to know what's possible. You want to know where to go. And no pun intended, Sasha. Please forgive me, but th there was a time when it was one one sensor a day. Right, you, you you'd have startups and and you have one and, and the other. And the, but what I mean with that is not that you know there is thousands of sensors out there that that are worth it, but the innovation, the rate of innovation in these sensors is so high. Yeah. Uh, that you really can come out with a good thing nearly every day. Nevertheless, and 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 that's for us. It is it is important. Can we predict which one is going to win? You know, at the end of the day, we are all as as a person, right? Do, driving and driving our autonomous vehicle. Yeah, we are optoacoustic tactile, yeah? and and I think we will always be. Optoacoustic tactile will be natural sensors also to use in technology because they can do a lot, no. But then we can and 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 you didn't mention tactile for example, but tactile is a sensor, no. And and then if I think about the ideal array that I would like to have, yeah, then I would also add certain ones to you know camera and radar and 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 lidar. I would add obviously tactile. I would add uh, the acoustics, but I would also add, for example, maps, right? Because maps can be a sensor. You could think of maps as a sensor and 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 then uh, augment what you can do. So, are we doing research into all of that? Yes, we do. Then uh, the funny thing becomes, of course, you know, too much cost-wise, obviously, but also too much data, uh, too much data, too much, uh, you know, energy, too much w what have you. Yeah? And then at a certain point, you have to turn around and say, how can I be smart about these sensors? And then, and then you get to virtual sensors and sensor simulation. And then I'm with Bernhard, you know, the discussions that we always have is about sensor simulation and all that stuff. And how can I use virtual sensors also as in, in, in the software term? I'll take the Machiavellian route out of this. Do I want to predict which sensor is going to win? By no means, because they all have so much potential that we will be pursuing all of them for a while. And I think there's different ways of using their advantages. What it comes down to is, you know, how much data can I, can I deal with? How much cost can I deal with? How can I get a stable perception together? Yeah? So actually, yes, absolutely. Feel free to to add as many sensors as as you prefer. <laughs> so I, I'm super flexible with that. So and also like when I understand that right, you do not see yourself in the role, let's say, to bet on the right horse. I mean, you you do your research. You can sometimes politely suggest a better solution, 
That's for sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 And in a way with validation systems like this, right? Uh, if you can show a correlation, if you can, if you can show a good perception, et cetera, et cetera, you, you do give the impetus to, to, to use certain, certain types of sensors, but, but we are by no means in a, in a position to give the requirement, especially if it's re religious, right? If it's <laughs> in the religious sense, we, we, we just pray as well. Yeah. That's actually absolutely unexpected. I would never expect in this panel that word, that expression, religion and philosophy um, <laughs> to happen. But yeah, <laughs> it does. So <laughs> have to be flexible also on that. So actually, we go now a little bit more deep in the direction of the LIDAR. So for, for Sasha, Continental presented quite recently, I mean, in the beginning of the year when, uh, when CES took place, the new LIDAR generation that enables high-resolution and long-range scanning. And that was for the first time, and which will be mass-produced starting from 2024. So what special features does the system offer and what driving functions should the system cover? Make it as technical as possible. As technical as possible. Okay, first of all, maybe then I can also come back to the comments Georg made, and I really like them. A sensor a day, so something like, you remember the statement, an apple a day keeps the doctor away? So a sensor a day keeps the competition away. I don't know. No, but um, really this, this LiDAR, you might not see a car which only has a LiDAR. So what's actually the starting point? The starting point is kind of back what Bernhard and Georg also said. How is the composition of that vehicle, whether it's a truck, whether it's a car, whether it's an autonomous robot? So what are really the, the requirements and what would you like to achieve? Then also what kind of sensors are suitable in order to... Um, to lead you the way. Yeah? For example, three sensor principles to the front, radar, camera, LiDAR. I also like it with the, with the humans comparison. So, uh, so uh, a human has five sensors. I even discussion about the sixth and the seventh sense. Yeah? So it's not only one sensor. You would require one sensor principle in order to move from A to B. No? So therefore, the LiDAR as well plays a part, not in the normal systems for ADAS, where you're, uh, where you're driving through the cities, the driver is still in the, uh, in the ownership of the car, but it, it avoids that you're crashing into a car or into a child. Therefore, we have radar camera systems. But if it goes towards autonomous, then let's say we see, or the industry sees, three measurement principles, different principles to the front. Yeah? Two maybe to the sides. And one important part, there is the LiDAR. Uh, on one side, we, we launched already the short-range LiDAR. Yeah? quite successfully in the market. Now with the long-range rider, there we have the possibility also with our cooperation partner AI uh, to really detect uh, ranges of up to 1,000 meters. 1,000 meters, you might say, is it really required for a car, for a vehicle? Mm, yeah, maybe there are other applications like trucks, for example, driving on motorways. And just imagine you have a motorcyclist there lying on the on the street and on the, on the motorway, and you would like to detect that this is a non-overridable uh, non Object, yeah, that's how it's called, yeah. So you want to avoid that you're killing that person. So having a long-range LiDAR together with a combination of a radar, which can look ahead, or also the telecamera, is then which increases significantly the safety for all of us. So therefore, LiDAR, not only functionality with LiDAR, no, LiDAR is one of the enablers in order to move ahead, yeah, and to avoid that dangerous topics like that would happen. And there I said, uh, we are 
pretty, it's pretty nice that we also, we were talking about partnerships before, yeah? that together with AI, with this partner, we are collaborating in order to bring that long range LiDAR one, up to 1000 meters detection range to life. Yeah? And maybe adding again to what Georg said, there are, as you said, multiple sensors. One is camera, LiDAR, radar, but also the acoustic, for example, when you have emergency vehicles, if you think about the maps, it's not only a sensor, it's also like a brain. Yeah? For example, I used to drive almost every day from Ulm to Lindau yeah? um, to talk directly to the engineers in Lindau, but also in Ulm. Yeah? So, and uh, the first time I drove it, of course, yeah, very slowly, yeah, not too slowly, but let's say you don't know exactly how the road goes. Yeah? After the 10th time, you already know it. Yeah? And 100 times, you can actually close your eyes and drive. Yeah? And therefore, this brain, what we as humans take uh, as a brain, that's then somehow comparable to a map because then the car already knows where to drive, where the difficult situations are, but even it can inform you, oh, there's actually an accident in front of you. So this additional sensor capabilities and brain in combination. So th therefore, that's actually a very important uh, topic to see this additional sensors, which are also coming in, or like in parking area. And LiDAR plays a very important topic on the way to AD. We also have their um, software configurable patterns we can use for the LiDAR. So that also means that, for example, is there like a human would do uh, a range, a certain area where, where you're interested in. Um, for example, you see a child on the right side. What we as humans would do is to look to the right and detecting what, what is this kid now doing? Yeah, So to focus our attention on that. And that's also something we are able with this LiDAR and the software tunability there to looking at the region of interest more deeply into certain critical topics. Yeah? And this also gives an additional flexibility. Let me ask an additional question regarding, let's say, LiDAR technology, because in the beginning it was like, wow, super expensive. How is it now? Is it still a prejudice that, uh, let's say, LiDAR technology has to overcome? Or when we talk about, let's say, high volume production, then it's not an issue anymore? For me, I mean, it's it's simple. Just just remember the airbag stories. Yeah, Airbags in the beginning, very expensive. Then every car has it. It really gets cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. What about the ABS um, analog braking systems? Yeah, I used to work on the ABS and ESC systems. And they're the same trend. The first one was really expensive and huge and massive. You actually needed a second car. Now, just joking, yeah? But actually very huge devices. And nowadays, it's in every car. And it's really affordable, yeah? Although the prices of the cars, if you look uh, over the years and correcting inflation, did not increase to that amount, yeah? The same after ABS and ESC. Now it's with the cameras you have in the car, yeah? It doesn't cost you a fortune. It's already standard there, yeah? The same as a ra radar. First, actually starting with the radar first, yeah, and doing this ACC functionality, pretty expensive in the first Mercedes. Yeah? Later on, getting cheaper and cheaper. Now it's standard. Yeah? And that's the same, I predict, also for the LiDAR. Yeah? And not only the LiDAR, the additional sensors which might come there as well. The same as the central ECUs. Yeah? Just imagine going to the moon. I don't know how expensive the computers were, which were in the Apollo capsule. Nowadays, you have a mobile phone, which has millions or Gazillions of operations times more than what we had on the moon, yeah, at a price which is much lower. So, next time we take the iPhones to the moon, yeah. So, but it just shows you that in all areas, whether it's related to the sensors, but also to the ADCUs, the central ECUs we're using, the hardware components, but also then the software related topics, we really get the costs under control. To maybe make a final statement, also related to software, where did we start? Maybe we started using 
certain procedures, if then else, yeah, to, to code certain scenarios for anti-lock breaking systems, but also for, for situations where you do an emergency braking, yeah, certain scenarios trained. What is now the way of using it? Now it's related to AI. Yeah? It's like uh, one man, uh, if one man is hungry, give him a fish. No, don't give him a fish, but actually teach him how to fish yeah? or give him. Uh, so and now it's the same with the AI related topics. So even the difficulties and complexities we are now facing AI related topics and data, not uh, writing the code hard coded, but rather using or writing the tools that they automatically can produce code, you can apply in a much more flexible way. This is also a topic where we are able to reduce the cost in the future ne, to keep this complexity under control. So all areas, ne, whether it's related to hardware, sensors, the central ECUs, the software development, also later on the testing, automated tools, not everything manually. Yeah? So I think in all areas, we're really making progress to make these products affordable. So therefore for LIDAR, for me, it's just a question of time that these prices also go down. But it's also good Close to understand speech. how those kind of decisions are made, let's say, how, let's say, cost-driven they are, actually. So now we are going to stay in the technical topic, so also for Bernhard. So what technical solutions do you offer for autonomous or also automated driving? What topics are most important for you currently? Yeah, so actually, we are providing a lot of topics, to be honest, and it's, it's of course somehow connected. So most of the topics are really, um, I will go through that really quickly, but most of the topics really kind of enable the development of autonomous vehicles. Not actually all of them, but most of them, and we see that. I mean, of course, this is also uh, something we kind of, um, where you see a lot of single point solutions, which we are connecting step by step. So by connecting them, uh, I guess we are also approaching that, that one plus one equals three scheme instead of just one, just two so really searching for so for those synergies step by step yeah just going through really quickly here um, is like for example we have like uh, companies like autonomous stuff you might have heard of them uh, they're really prototyping autonomous vehicles so they're really there for kind of uh, customers who are who don't know how to build their own prototypes and want to potentially also not dive into that but just need the prototypes to kind of display something showcase something test their own components whatever right this is uh, where they are coming to that play then we have companies like Novatel. They are good in like uh, positioning, for example, right? Uh, so uh, this is a huge discussion right now uh, on the positioning side. Of course, they are also looking not only at the position, but also looking at it from a point from a V2X point of view, uh, which is also of course important. This is also something we can we can really pull together in, in a good way. Then we have, which is even getting more and uh, more exciting here, um, and they, those companies are not looking too much into it, but uh, we are kind of putting them together right now. It's like uh, Leica Geosystems, for example. They are kind of producing, uh, I would say, LiDAR or laser-based measurement systems, not for use in the car, but for use in terms of like capturing the environment. It's very different kind of sensors, like from handheld sensors, easy, like small ones where you can just run to your own building or to, to the environment and then capture it all the way down to uh, some devices which you can really mount on, on airplanes uh, and kind of measure that. And everything in between is also kind of possible. Uh, very exciting there. And it kind of, kind of produces a representation of, of that planet which can be turned into maps, right? And there's also services already out there within, within Hexagon kind of uh, constantly measuring the same parts of this world because it's also uh, what just um, Georg also mentioned, using maps as a sensor, right? It's a, it's a sensor with, uh, with like very, very high latency, I would say. But also the environment is changing step by step. And this ties into what Sasha also says before. 
if we look, I also worked for Vehicle Dynamics uh, when I started my, my career. And I, I remember working with those race drivers partially also together uh, at, at this point. And what they are doing, like before, before a race, usually a day before or two days before, being on a racetrack, they are kind of walking down that racetrack. What do they do? They are kind of, kind of, you know, kind of mapping that racetrack. They are seeing how the vehicle will already behave just walking down that racetrack, looking at every pothole, you know, looking at every curb and so on. What, what do I do there? All right. This is kind of, this gives them a prediction of what is going on, not only in their own vehicle, but also in the vehicle in, in front of them. So they are able to predict what's going on. And this is kind of a map they have in their brain and they, in their mindset they can use, actually. And this is also somehow I would kind of compare the option here for, for Hexagon as well, mapping those areas. And we are actually kind of mapping huge, huge areas here on that planet for other purposes for now, but also looking into that, how we can we, how can we turn that into first run into simulation maps, but then also secondly, and this is a longer story, I wouldn't pick up that on that uh, today too much, but it's an interesting one. How can we use that if we if we have simulation maps, which are highly sophisticated maps we are using? How can we use that those in the car? Right? We have highly sophisticated maps, and the question now is like I you know I don't have to map the whole world, but kind of the critical areas can we downgrade them and make them applicable to cars, right? Uh, and use them in in cars as a sensor. So that way I also have them in simulation and I have them in the car. Right? Interesting topic here. Of course, uh, what we also do is like we provide simulation tools. So um, this is kind of in terms of autonomous driving, it's the most prominent one is kind of, kind of we call it virtual test drive. What it actually does is it's consuming those maps and it's providing a virtual proving ground. And the problem here is that uh, this kind of virtual proving ground is not only consisting out of maps, but it's actually it has to kind of interact with the virtual car. So if the sensor is looking at that environment, it has to get the right feedback back, right? Uh, for, for a camera, it's kind of what we see. But for a radar, for example, you know, the, the, the environment looks quite different, right? Mm -hmm. So it, we are talking about different materials, different structures, all these kind of things. For a LiDAR, again, it's looking different. For ultrasound, it's looking different, right? Even for V2X and positioning, it's, uh, some, it's somewhat different. So this is kind of, uh, it has to be an interactive environment. And this is kind of the path to um, also for the, the big vision for Hexagon is going into the direction of like building digital twins step by step, right? And this is going into, into, that, uh, into that direction. And it, this can also be finally combined with other simulation tools. Uh, there's also others um, uh, we are providing within the CAE area, but also for manufacturing, not so applicable or appealing to autonomous yet. But uh, combining all these different options here is great. And if you ask me about the, what is your biggest and important topic here, I would even say like combining is one thing. And the other thing is kind of in order to combine, we need to partner with other companies. And that's also very, very important. So actually also comes again to what, what Sasha said at the very beginning. Okay, it was more focused on the, let's say, bigger players and the startups companies, but still like, okay, how do you really collaborate with each other and so on? And actually also listening to all the analysis that you just gave, which was really great. I see a lot of like intersections even between all of you, let's say, and you kind of like constantly agree with each other. So like how you see the world of autonomous driving, which uh, makes me super happy because uh, let's say there's maybe also like uh, potential to work together and so on afterwards. So it's also a very nice atmosphere, let's say here that we are like jogging, no one is disagreeing so completely. So it means like really the perception of the world is at least here in this panel quite on the same level. So 
And therefore, it's uh, super good now that I have now the next question because Georg mentioned like, oh, I started already with the challenging question. I would say I start now with the most challenging question because now I asked you for your highest level of honesty because now we are like, I hope we are at the right time in the panel. So we are already like in the middle of it. So what has been the biggest developmental challenge that your company did not correctly predict? And this question to all of you. All right. Where to start? <laughs> I think it's it's kind of probably uh, already uh, showed through the, the the previous discussions. I mean, from our perspective, what we underestimated was sensorics first, and that's that's not even that's not even which type of sensors, but secondary, tertiary uh, kind of topics with it. Things like aging and soiling and drifting and and what do you do with it, right? And and how do you deal with it? Because especially when and and I'm not in the in the in the same kind of mindset and direction as Sasha, having to devise something, but I have to validate something. And when I validate it, how do I deal with these kind of the, the phenomenology of sensorics? Because difficult enough to do the physics of it, and more importantly, even also the simulation of it. But then you get to this phenomenology, and uh, then it's over. I mean, uh, we're by no means out of the woods there, and and simply enough also overlaying weather with uh, you know sensors and and having I don't know snow and partial views and uh, uh, humidity and this and that terrible and really tough uh, really tough questions still. And and I think we went wrong to assume kind of, you know, ideal sensors in the beginning and need to deal with the reality of the sensors as they, as they are out there. I guess ideal sensor just doesn't exist, basically yeah. like it is. <laughs> yeah. Day one, you start with a sensor and it's not ideal anymore. And so so what does that mean, right? What does it mean for the validation and the and, and the capability of the system? And, and when is it not good enough anymore? And how do you predict the aging? And how do you predict the drift? And how do you predict this and that? Yeah. But it's something that, uh, you know, we, we just see from a different perspective and we cannot change the sensor. We have to observe the sensor and kind of say, okay, in the validation, what does that mean now? So it's it's a bit of a different thing uh, from from a tier one from an OEM or from a sensor from a sensor supplier. And the second one that we're really we we were struggling with, we are struggling with, and we will be struggling with is is data. Is the amount of data when when it comes to and again simulation uh, like like with Bernhard and validation and having a reference system and the whole latency of that and how do I compare the the sensorics and and the the sheer amount of data the sheer uh, how you how much you have to deal with when you say stupidly said an ADA system in a vehicle can forget what's behind it right it, it it drives it makes the right decision hopefully right but then it moves on and the past is the past yeah now uh, for us uh, that's not true <laughs> stupid stupidly we, we we are not allowed to forget what just happened we need to trace what happened we need to keep what ha what happened we need to compute what happened and, and learn from it, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the amount of data that we have to, to deal with and keep is even bigger. So those were the two, I think, I would say the most difficult pieces and where we also went wrong for a while and where we are still going to go in different directions also in the future, I'm, I'm sure. Thank you very much, especially, I mean, when, when you said like, okay, we, are, we were struggling, we are struggling, we are going to be struggling. So That is level of honesty that I really did expect and appreciate. Thank you very much. And now, Sasha? 
Leopold? Yeah, maybe I answer the question more related to the business outlook rate overall. And uh, Georg, you also touched base on that. On one side, also the related data related topic, I completely agree. Yeah. Huge, massive amount, very difficult to handle. And there, that's, of course, a huge effort. Uh, but looking also on the business side, Georg, you said it also in the beginning, there was this hype, yeah? 2014, 15. Yes, we will go for autonomous driving. We will make it happen. Lots of corporations yeah, and lots of hope. And then suddenly, so, I mean, the prediction that it will come was was correct. But then you saw also the dip down. <laughs> and then now more coming to a realistic scenario. Because now on the technology side, also the topics you mentioned, Georg and Bernhard, now we're much more mature. We learned a lot. Technology-wise, we are now at the right time. Yeah? As well as legislation. Yeah? On the legislation side, uh, five years ago, uh, driving automatically on, on highways, mm, Nothing was existing. Discussions were going on. Now it's also something which is which is there, yeah. So therefore, the the foundations or the, the you would require in order to go for that, they are available. So that's I think where I would say the whole industry was judging that that scenario quite uh, quite differently, or let's say um, a bit too optimistic to say so. No? And the other, which has maybe less to do with ADAS or AAD or AM, is. Uh, related also to electromobility. Yeah? It was really great to see this huge boost yeah, in electromobility in the last years. And every OEM wanted to have these electric vehicles and was designing and working on that subject. And that's maybe something more from, uh, speaking of for myself, something I, I didn't predict in that amount, yeah, that this would come that fast. And there you see how important it is for companies to be really flexible and monitor what's out there and to adjust quickly to new needs. Absolutely, yeah. And Bernhard, do you have something to add on the honesty level here? <laughs> no, I don't want to be too honest. No, I'm just uh, kidding. I got two points. So first of all, of course, uh, like, uh, you know, Hexagon did pick up on that autonomous challenge very late, right? So it's easy, a little bit easy for me because I'm not too long part of Hexagon. But this is also something which is interesting. On the other part, it gives us also the option to kind of pull things together now in the in the right way, right? Uh, kind of, you know, sorting out uh, the, the whole challenge a little bit late. Gives, you have to be faster, but then you see it already clearer, right? So that, that's one point. The other point is uh, what I also was seeing is like a lot of these uh, simulation tools, as we also have one, a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of them were addressing uh, uh, simulators. So kind of uh, driver in the loop uh, scenarios um, in a lot of times. And then we also kind of in the last, I would say, two years, it's, I wouldn't say it's really new, but it's really picked up tremendously here on the software side of things and the cloud thing, right? So uh, what does it mean for, for these challenges? Uh, and I would say um, this is also coming from simulator business, which is really hardware-related, now switching to the software and cloud kind of thing. It's really some somewhat a, a challenge, right? Uh, it's uh, it is a huge use case. It's also a huge option, but it's not that easy to reach. There's advantages and disadvantages to this uh, to it. Uh, for example, if you're coming from hardware-related stuff, it's a lot of times you are used to real time. Right? Um, this is this is a good one. In the end, and kind of transferring that to to software in the loop um, kind of challenges uh, gives you a little bit of an advantage here. But also there's like really challenges uh, adapting to, to cloud services and cloud capabilities. It's, uh, you know, it's somewhat a long stretch. So, which, you know, of course we are aiming for, but it's an interesting journey in the meantime. 
So actually, data is the new gold, but it's not so clear how to do so, how to deal with that, and also how to do that efficiently. So also on the on the technical side, so like providing enough of infrastructure and so on. So do, do I understand that in correct way? Yeah, somewhat. Uh, you're of course right. Uh, definitely for me in the meantime, it's like, uh, yes, there was a lot of industries that's not just autonomous, but for Thomas also, of course, true. It's like uh, data is kind of the, the new gold, right? But for me, it's like, it's not just data. It's, it's, uh, it's about data quality. It's about the processes, how you kind of turn data into some, uh, into somewhat which is valuable in the end. So this, uh, this needs to be handled as well. And this also kind of, you know, don't want to talk too long about it here, but it's like, uh, if you talk about or think about AI, artificial intelligence, uh, right? It's like, you know, in the meantime, a lot of companies also learned uh, the data has to be right. So, right, in order to get something valuable out of it. So if you have poor data in the beginning, you get poor results, right? Uh, so it's even if you, you have the best AI algorithm in the end, you know, it's it's going to be poor in the end. So the data and the data quality needs to be there. That that's very essential. And yes, of course. I mean, that's it's a challenge for Hexagon as well. And that's kind of tying into the of course first question you you know where we started with, like you know, quality in the end. Mm -hmm. um, Exactly. And actually, it's it's like that is a challenge for all of you. So that's and it sounds like like big. And yeah, let's see what what will happen in the next years. And now we go in a bit more strategic direction of the question. So, Georg, it's it's actually quite tricky, even in this panel round. Let's say you sometimes have a customer, you have a development partner, you have a supplier, you have a competitor in one and the same company. So what is the best and most clever way to handle this strategically? Yeah, well, let's start. I mean, I, I think ADAS in general is a, is a big area for collaboration and, and we all have our ecosystems that we need to fit in with, with technology partners and with suppliers. And oftentimes our customers also become part of that ecosystem. But th that's the first, I think the first layer of, or, of answer is it is a highly networked technology area. Because nobody can do it on his own, and 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 it's it's very complex uh, to put together networks. But it's not it's it's even more complex to put together all the competences under one roof. But then, as as you say, sometimes for us, it's it's really kind of tricky in in that world of I call it coopetition or frenemies. Yeah, these are kind of the words that that are used these days. So coopetition, cooperating, and co competition at the same time, and frenemies. Yeah, having a friend that's also an enemy. So we have quite a few of those, and I will use an example because to show it probably best is, so if we work, for example, with a company like Bosch, Bosch can be a very good customer. They buy test beds. They can be a very good partner, and we use their technology, and they use our technology, and we, we cross-integrate each other, et cetera, et cetera. They can be a competitor in on the engineering side as well as on the some of the testbed side. So we have, for example, we are working. We've worked with with a startup, and then Bosch buys up that startup, and and we're kind of you know now they bought something maybe we would want to now or we we continue to collaborate with with the startup. So it's really manifold, and this has been the case for us for a longer time already. I mean, the Bosch example is not new. This is something that uh, I think 10 years ago, they would have been all of that. As a competitor with ETAS, we, we buy ETAS equipment and, and, and do something with it, but ETAS is also a competitor. So has been there. I think it has increased by a level. And, and I think the important way to deal with it is acknowledging it and partnering. 
And yes, there is no front lines as in warfare in this uh, in this industry anymore, should be. But yeah, there is the acceptance that others have different roles. And of course, you have to be a bit careful about IP and this and that and what you talk and what you not talk. And But at the end of the day, we partner. So collaborations point. win. Yeah. Collaboration is, is uh, and, and where you compete, it's a different form of collaborating. You know, I mean, quite frankly, yeah. And actually, we are staying in the topic of collaboration, which is anyway my most favorite topic at all. So, Sasha, how important are collaboration also for Continental in your field? And how important are collaboration with innovative tech startups in particular? And especially when you are at the very early stage technologically. So how do you know which technology is worth to be investigated further? Yeah, first of all, partnerships, collaborations, super important. Even more important than 20 years ago, where you saw an interesting company, you bought it, yeah, integrated it, and you delivered then the product to the customer. And these times are over, let's say, let's say this way. Yeah? So, and that's also good because, I mean, like in a human body, there are certain cells which are specified in certain areas. Yeah? It's like a companies. There are certain companies which can do uh, topic A very well, others B and C. And now the beauty is how to put that together so that something meaningful for the end customer or the customer comes out of it. So therefore, this way of partnerships and collaborations and not only startups, yeah, established players plus startups plus universities, a real ecosystem. That's, that's really something what we see, what I see is crucial. It's super important. Yeah? And it, it doesn't mean that you have to partner for life. Yeah? It's like in a marriage. Yeah? Um, sometimes you will be uh, with your partner for the whole life. Yeah? Sometimes you say after 10 years, oh, actually, hmm, let's, let's say bye-bye. I still like you, but there's another partner. Yeah? So I think you can actually transform that also to the industry. There are uh, meaningful relationships, yeah, and every partner brings in his strength. Now it's also like in a marriage or also with friends, yeah, the culture must, of course, fit. And it's like, what are my needs? What are your needs? Is there reciprocal need? I give you something from me because I know then you can be better and that helps me as well, yeah. Like in, I'm not sure where I recently saw that, yeah, it's not about winning, Uh, anymore. No? I mean, if it's a, fi what was it? a finite game, you want to win. In an infinite game, it's not so much about, about winning, it's about staying in the race and developing further. Yeah? And that's exactly what we're doing also then on a partnership level. Yeah? So super important, new inputs, new innovations you wouldn't have done by yourself. And therefore also both views. On the one side, still starting again from the system view. What is it what we would like to deliver? You know, added value for the customer. These are the components we see, blah, blah, blah. Now, uh, an interesting software algorithm or solution we've never seen before uh, by another company. Okay, how to integrate it? Sounds awesome. Yeah, Let, Let's do that. Yeah? So th th that's the way of doing it. And then, of course, I mean, the, the, the standard processes, yeah, um, to understand how does this technology or solution, whatever it is, uh, or service model or so fits together to the greater good, what we would like to do. And then also to clearly say, yes, we would like to continue or hmm, maybe now is not the right time to continue. And then not a star connection like your company in the middle and then all the others are like a sun rays um, attached to you rather creating a web and that's also funny when when i was talking to partners 
The funny thing is how to bring them together, like friends, yeah? It's not, this is my friend, this cannot be your friend. No, <laughs> that's not how it is. It is about really like a friendship, yeah? They are talking just, gosh, my friends are talking to each other as well, yeah? That's how you should do it also in this partnership ecosystem. And, and Georg, you also mentioned this topic on involving having this ecosystem. And then I like this frenemies and this cooperation or computer. I really like this. It, it, it is true, yeah? And you have to be, of course, careful how open you are with certain topics. But as soon as trust is established, yeah, you can really go a very long way. And that's also what we see here. It's, I don't want to already raise my last point of the question, which might be, what is my life's motto? But it's really about whether you think you We can do it or yet. not, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Whether you think you can do it or not, you're right. Yeah. It's the same with the partners. Whether you would like to do something great together with a partner and you're starting with the mood, oh, I cannot work anyways, yeah. Forget it. It will not work. If you are convinced and technologically, of course, it makes sense. Yeah. And the, the trust is there and you want to succeed. Yeah. And you make it clear to the whole team that you want to succeed. Then you have a high chance of success as well. Like in partnerships, marriages, friends. Actually, you know, I really like your Simon Sinek approach, if I may acknowledge that, let's say, talking about infinity and yeah, infinite game and so on. So therefore, it's super crucial. And also, like you said, uh, trust is also super, super crucial for those kind of collaborations, successful ones, at least. Eh? So really, be it for business, be it for kindergarten, <laughs> let's say what you mentioned, you know, when you are my friend, you cannot be the friend of somebody else. So, you know, and also like, yeah, business, actually, you know. And therefore, we also stay in this kind of collaboration topic, but uh, we define collaboration, let's say, a bit differently for Bernard. Let's talk briefly about the consortia where the suppliers, the OEMs, the mobility providers, the legal side from the government get together and discuss how to automate mobility faster and more efficiently. So how effective do you feel the approach of these days? So who is actually the driving force and are there missing pieces of the puzzle in this consortia that really need to be involved? Yeah, so it's it's a really long story in the end. But of course, first of all, these kind of consortia are useful, right? No doubt about that. And, and it needs to happen because it's, uh, it's a special kind of network you're building there. And this needs to happen. It's exactly, you know, it's, it's a specific type of network, uh, basically same same thing as, you know, social trust described. So no doubt uh, needs to happen. Very, uh, very essential. On the other hand, uh, we are coming up with really ambitious goals, right? And I mean, we are doing that constantly, right? Uh, if the next three years are over, we are coming with the next three years, uh, right? And then there's the next kind of, kind of people kind of uh, taking over. Now they believe they, they will make it, right? Let's ignore some part of the challenge and just make it, right? Of course, it doesn't happen, right? Because you ignore some part of the challenge. So these ambitious goals um, is a little bit contradicting because the, the, the point here is uh, some of the challenges has to be discussed and have to be also supported by other players and other stakeholders. If you look at specific in specific areas, there's a lot of stakeholders sitting on the same table in order to kind of get autonomous driving going here, right? Uh, so in the, in the former times, it's more usually if you just think about, um, you know, bringing cars out there, you know, it's like you don't need so many so many stakeholders, right? Because they, they like to be, you know, sketching the system boundary around the car, you know, talking even, if possible, even avoiding talking to the end customer, right? Uh, 
and then just pull it out, right? For, for autonomous vehicles, uh, they need to interact with infrastructure. They need to interact with the telecommunication companies, uh, like with, you know, with MNOs, like mobile network operators. They need to kind of, uh, there's new um, kind of fields coming up, like mobility service operators right now, right? There, uh, you take like, uh, you know, L4 companies into, into account, like uh, building the LSAD stack and so on. A lot of different stakeholders, they all, most of them are running on, uh, even are running on different kind of, in different markets, different kind of business models, right? Uh, uh, kind of different, uh, different kind of goals they are setting. So they are, if you talk to them, they, they have their own goals. So how should that work out if just automotive industry is uh, coming up with the next three year goal, but the others have totally different targets, not possible. Of course, like if you have enough time, those consortia are, you know, that, that's why they are useful. They should harmonize specific things and then standardize specific things, right? Uh, so this is, uh, they also take care for like moving people together. Uh, not all, by far, not all of the community has understood. And in the meantime, the game just, Sasha just explained, right? Uh, they still think, uh, you know, first of all, the, 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 the first guy who is kind of taking out uh, autonomous cars on the street will own the innovation. Not, not the case. That's, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's also not, not very useful, right? So this is something then kind of that, what just just, just explained, the, the stark kind of thing. You know, some are still thinking, let's do my own kind of thing here, uh, move forward, and the others will follow. I, this is also something which, which, which is not going to happen, right? It's like uh, you need that you need that network and you need to understand each other. And that's what you said before. Therefore, it's like, first of all, it's building trust and so on. Therefore, these consortia are good. Don't expect to have them something out there within three years, right? So the question is like, if we are talking about three years, what can we turn, turn out? I'm not saying not using the consortia, but also contributing to them, of course. They need that learning journey as well, but kind of bypassing them here and there, right? And then kind of contributing the results afterwards again. So this is something um, most of the players, the next step is like turning out uh, within the next two to three years, their own very small autonomous driving fleets and dedicated areas which is also necessary. They can't wait for, for all of these consortia, right? Uh, talking about like a lot of different things here. Ownership models, operations, logistics, legal, human machine interfaces, uh, different kind of technologies, AI development methods, and so on. How should that, how should that work out, right? Within three years, N not at all possible. But this is kind of, you know, it's, there is, um, uh, this needs to be aligned step by step. Um, you know, some of these things need to take a little bit longer. Some, some others is also good to kind of bypass in order to just be pragmatic. That is exactly what we can learn from Silicon Valley kind of startups, right? Be pragmatic at some point, go through also with partners, but kind of faster, right? Uh, provide a, a certain kind of solution to it and then, don't just take that learning journey and that solution for your own, but also provide it to the community. This is then, that is the essential point here and kind of then start uh, again, harmonizing and, you know, provide that uh, or just move the whole community forward. That's also very essential. At the point where we can, we are really able to scale autonomous vehicles, then we might be at the competition point again, but everybody knows that. <laughs> but in the beginning, let's say the, the main point is like how to establish this ecosystem. So where everyone is collaborating, everyone is trusting each other and everyone is moving together forward, let's say. No? So that, that's the, the main core first. Yeah. 
Yeah, what I'm missing is kind of, and I don't have a good uh, answer to it. Like how should how should the different kind of consortia and different initiatives be connected to each other so that they can really learn from each other, right? Because if one guy makes a decision here, it affects usually the other guy, and not just one. It affects like a lot of others. So this kind of learning journey, where is that move organization? holding hands and being transparent on, on what happens where. This is kind of the point I'm, uh, one of the points I'm missing here. And Georg and Sascha, do you have like a super successful example for that? Does it exist in your pragmatic approach of everyday life? Let's say those kind of successful consortia, can you name them if, if you have this experience? Yeah, I was going to contradict Bernard. No, <laughs> no. Uh, I think actually I was going to mention. So I'm I'm part of a consortium, or I'm a technical chair of a consortium called IAMTS, the, the International Alliance for Mobility Testing and Standardization. <laughs> a huge name, and and where, for example, right, there is a cross section of these different industry players. Yeah, so not not only OEMs, not only testing, not only simulation, not only proving grounds, but all of those, right, uh, in some way uh, represented. And on the other side, and this is uh, probably the, the dimension that is most important, there are institutions that are in the, you know, approval, certification, regulation, and et cetera area, uh, like like TÜV and Katak and SAE and IEEE and DIN and so on, that it's not the consortium that makes the rules. Yeah, it's the consortium that can exchange, you know, what rules could be made and where there is best practices and how we can. But the, the thing, if you observe in detail, then, you know, it spans all regions. We have a huge problem in ADAS uh, cross-regionally. We will have a total mess of, And, and, and huge costs of validation due to drifting, to, due to diverging requirements in different regions. Now, if there is some level of kind of comparison, right, across China, US, Europe, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we have all the, the difficulties that we have uh, with, with industrial politics. But if there is some way of understanding and some way of cross-correlation and some way of using similar standards and some way of using different, more important probably than standards is, is, is similar practices and accepted practices, that's a huge benefit. Huh? And I agree with Bernard that it takes a long time, but if you don't have these forum fora to discuss and exchange and actually work with each other, then you don't have a chance to influence that, right? It, it just drifts apart because it drifts apart. Uh, countries don't have the same interest as industry to have some sort of convergence there and, and a common logic there. And we've seen that in so many ways. So I can say that on one side, these, these like, like IAMTS-like consortia that have a cross-section of industry and, and probably a cross-section of, of, of regions is an important forum. And the others that are very important, we, we do a lot of research. And in, in Europe in particular, there is big funded research projects where you also, it's pre-competitive research where you share certain things and uh, learn from each other and work with each other. And, and they, they are in a way 
a preform to the to the ecosystems because you can you can start working with companies on a pre competitive basis on on really uh, fundamental research uh, below TRL five or something, and uh, and then continue to work with them right uh, because you know that they have the same interests etc. So that's also I find a very given the structure the the industrial structure that Europe has a very useful uh, way of building consortia that leads to success in the future of ecosystems and and actually in in the case of IMTS hopefully also a cross regionality of 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 solutions do you see at least conformity let's say within the countries of europe or it also doesn't exist so far <laughs> i'm not sure if it is smart to comment on this one Uh, I, I see some block building, yeah. I see some some politics, politics trying to orchestrate uh, still sort of national champions or whatever. But I think that also industry realizes how not useful that is. It's getting more complex even on that, no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, let's stay with you now also because you mentioned also like, okay, simulation and testing and so on. So. Let's talk a bit uh, about that. So uh, to what extent do you work also with artificial intelligence at AVL when it comes to testing and simulation? So to a certain extent, not differently than my colleagues, uh, than others in, you know, I mean, ADAS, ADAS is built on artificial intelligence, especially as far as perception is concerned and as far as building algorithms for also uh, route planning is concerned. So not differently in that respect, because we also need these these uh, functionalities in our in our systems. A bit different in in the sense that I talked about before this this phenomenology for for example for sensors and and th this also exists in other areas where on top of in in simulation on top of kind of physical and 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 uh, behavioral you you have to build uh, these phenomena and and they are data driven models so you have to build some sort of uh, pipeline that that uh, creates data driven aspects to your physical models for example and then uh, the other thing that i can think of is Everybody is building a pipeline to do simulation and testing. Uh, you need to do that very smartly, right? Uh, you, you cannot, uh, and, and we, are, we are having intensive discussions of how to do that smartly, yeah. but you cannot just throw the, the totality of test cases that is possible, full factorial, as you would say, <laughs> at, a, at a problem. You need to be very selective about this and you need to build smart uh, pipelines. And, and there is also a role for AI to do that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, Sasha, also we are staying in this, let's say, topic of uh, simulation technology and so on. So how accurate is uh, sensor simulation technology and how do you test sensing as you software? Yeah, for me, it's, it's a crucial part. Yeah? On the one side, um, having the ability to really test, of course, in the vehicle, but also the data you acquired for offline, sim uh, offline simulation yeah? and um, to test uh, algorithms you might have tuned. But then also this synthetic data to add that as well to the overall, let's say, um, insulation capabilities. And then where it also gets quite tricky is then at the end, if you're doing then offline simulation by closed loop, you know, where you have to have good models. And basically we're using all of these forms. And especially if you're looking at uh, not so much the synthetic data, but also the, the capability of simulating um, the sensors at the end, uh, that's then quite um, tricky and quite uh, time um, 
consuming and for all say no, resource consuming. So therefore also on the one side we're using the cloud, we have some collaborations also with Amazon in this respective, but also having some central hubs in Frankfurt or Lindau or Bangalore where we're able to, to simulate them. So for me it's really a crucial part because one thing is for sure, yeah, believing that we can do everything by driving outside, yeah, you would be too slow. You have to drive much faster than yeah. So therefore the simulation is really it's a sake, yeah to be able to simulate whether it's a sub-module or the overall system to have this capability of doing it and to do it automated, of course. Yeah. Now we go one step further, let's say we go to the validation. So Bernard, I mean, saving time is one of the good points for autonomous driving, but still increased safety was definitely or is definitely advantage number one. So what does safety mean for your product development and how do you validate your systems? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question in, in many aspects, actually. So first of all, I would also add uh, time savings is definitely one of the advantages of autonomous driving, but it's not only time saving, right? We have like a lot of other advantages as well. Like autonomous vehicles can or systems can also go uh, into areas where humans are not allowed to go for, for safety reasons, for example, because it's just not considered safe or it's actually is definitely not safe, for example. So this is also like another uh, huge use case here or another use case also where we are hum where humans are not good at is like producing something on the same quality all the time, right? Uh, this is also where machines don't care, right? They just do the same thing all the time, right? So this is also where autonomous driving is, is coming into play and there's many other use cases as well. So it's not just only about time saving and in some industries, industries even the time saving aspect is, doesn't matter, right? There's other aspects which are more more relevant and there's also in a lot of cases there's actually safety aspects uh, which 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 are interesting so from this kind of respect and aspect safety you know is the safety which is provided or safety as use case and which is provided through the autonomous technology or in particular maybe for uh, through the autonomous vehicle but then there's also other uh, safety aspects right we should also consider safety not as the only kpi uh, of autonomous vehicles i mean there's usually three uh, which is kind of and, and then it's a trade-off right it's it's safety it's performance but it's also kind of uh, convenience and in this kind of typical triangle for automotive is kind of you know you have to defend the best best trade-off there so i think that is also important because a lot of times we are talking we're just talking and addressing safety you know actually if the car is standing still it's probably safe right but the question is does it portray its task, right? So, so that is, uh, you know, where, where we can see, uh, you know, it's it's not the right trade-off out of performance and safety. This this has to be taken into into account as well. So the other point is also, then the question is like, what is safe? What What is really safe for, uh, for autonomous driving? So what, what does it mean? You know, uh, how can we measure safety? I mean, there are several means out there, of course. I mean, there's a huge, uh, as everybody knows, there's functional safety. I was also like uh, reminding myself like years ago when we started that whole engagement. In the meantime, there's also, you know, on top of that, there's also coming out uh, SOTIF uh, safety or, um, um, yeah, of, of the intended function. Thank you. So this is also you know, coming out on top of that, which is which is interesting. But besides that, what 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 is really considered safe? So what is also clear, there's no system which can which is 100% safe. It's just technically not possible. So we need to have some kind of limit here, right? If you look at uh, at humans how safe they are driving. It's like usually we are kind of complaining here and there, right? Humans are not really safe uh, drivers and so on. But if you look at that, it's like uh, they doing a lot of mileage actually without any accident. And if we look at a little bit closer where we humans are really good at, it's like figuring out 
specific situations with which not really acute before and kind of managing that. And in some cases, it's going, you know, it's kind of ending up in a, in a mess. But in, a, in lots of the cases, it's actually kind of, uh, you know, avoiding accidents. Um, so this is also something that we are really good at. And at the other hand, what I mentioned before is the machine is really good at uh, managing the kind of standard situations which are occurring every time again, where we are getting bored, right? Uh, we are getting used to. This is kind of where machines are really good at. The good news here is this is kind of, you know, 98% of the, of the cases, that's the, that's the standard case, right? So that, that's a good point. Uh, we have to be aware of like uh, the, the critical cases and we have to be aware of the critical cases early enough, you know, in order to avoid them. Or even in some cases like uh, where we know it's, you know, something which is going to get critical, like hand it over to the driver early enough, of course. So this is kind of, uh, it needs some KPIs there and it needs to be better than a human is and then the next question is you know how good is human what, what human are we looking about looking at it's an average human what is an average human what's an average human driving behavior and so on but this needs to be figured out right and it needs to be a kind of common criteria can be different you know regional wise but uh, you know some uh, some some common measurement needs to be figured out then the the next aspect which is also interesting then is like um, in terms of safety it's also the question like we are now talking about safety of the system. What is about safety of development tools, right? And in, in, in this sense, uh, so how safe have they be uh, to be, and have uh, safe have their behavior to be in order to build safe systems? So the safety can be carried through the whole workflow in the end, right? And it needs to be, because if the systems we are using uh, in order to create those safe systems are not safe. And they are kind of, you know, every time behaving a little bit different, right? We are not getting to the same system behavior. So this is also something uh, which we need uh, to take into account. It is also a discussion which is going on. It is also tying into the discussion of like, you know, quality of those systems. But, uh, you know, the, it's addressing the tools and the workflow uh, of the development of those autonomous systems. And what does it mean in order to take them on a kind of safe or a certain quality level? in order to kind of build these systems constantly and with the constant quality. So as you can see, safety has many aspects here and it's addressing, it's, it's, it's also addressing a lot of different uh, kind of areas. Of course, for our area in terms of like uh, validation of those systems, we are looking into that. Uh, we're discussing that uh, with uh, different players, also with, with uh, within different consortia in order to see what we can up, can run up with. We are also uh, sometimes bypassing consortia for a good reason to be faster, but then in the end providing the results again back to this consortia. So it's kind of, it ties into what we kind of, you know, talked about before. So yeah, again, safety, not an easy topic. The other takeaway here is like, we shouldn't just talk about safety. It's always a trade-off between safety, performance and convenience, right? Because, you know, again, a standing steel vehicle, it's almost safe. <laughs> almost. Actually, before we entered in, in your reply of this question, I was thinking, wow, it's complex. Now I think, wow, it's highly complex. And especially like not just creating those technical solutions, but also like validating and being able to validate that, what it all means, because you covered so many factors that come in, let's say, and one of the stages then when you validate those systems, let's say, let's call it like this. So then it comes also the legal side, the side from the government. And uh, do you have the feeling that you get like enough um, assistance from the government side? So, or would is are there areas, let's say, where you could have 
better assistance in that regard. So maybe we start, because we are now in the topic, maybe we'll start with you right away, so Bernard. So there is support there. I would say it, it needs more support here because some of the, not all of the questions, but some of the questions need to be solved by government uh, in the end, right? Uh, so what, what is, uh, for me, is like also the question of like, what is the what is the safety measure? What is the safety which needs to be reached, uh, right? If we're talking about safety, it's not just only about safety here. What is it in the end? And this is also, and again, this also um, catches up with some top uh, or some discussion points we had earlier, we had earlier in this discussion. This ties or this is not only affecting autonomous vehicles. This is also affecting autonomous operation of those vehicles. This is also affecting infrastructure. So, um, and this can not only be solved by one industry. So, there need to be certain rules out there, which uh, where you know government says under these kind of conditions, I do have like an, an acceptance of these kind of, of of these kind of systems. And this is kind of where we need to to run through in order to do that. So this is uh, somehow which I think needs to be evolved more. And yes, I agree also with Georg, of course, it's like uh, it's happening step by step. Um, it's a long journey, of course, and it, it, it cannot come overnight. It, that's anyways key because it has to be well considered. Uh, you know, it cannot come up with just something and say, well, that's the limit and that's it. Well, some regions may, may be able to do that. But then even for these regions, it's the question like, if they just want to sell in a certain region, might be okay. But if another region is coming up with some other limits, you know, they have to potentially redevelop the whole system in the end. So they also want to, it's, it's, it's a world problem here in the end. Kind of the world mm -hmm. needs to be in some agreement. Again, can be regional-wise different, but we need to know the, the different requirements um, early on. And this is kind of something where I would say it needs more support for all, the, all of those players. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Georg, what is your take on that? Two things. I, I think many of the things uh, that, that I could say, Bernard already said, but uh, I do believe we have, we have one thing is we are at risk that technology outpaces regulation. Uh, if, if we see what we have in regulation, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with Sasha. Good first steps, right? But at this rate, we're not going to have the regulation at the right time for the technology when it comes. So that is one thing. And what does that mean? That means for regulatory bodies, actually, we have to change the instruments how to regulate. Uh, today, we have a static homologation. And when we have PTIs, this these regular regular uh, periodic testing and inspection. Today we have, uh, on the other side, with an ADA system, you, you have a, a, an update of your software and the, the thing behaves completely different. So you can't homologate that uh, statically. You can't do a periodic testing and inspection every time you do an OTA. Yeah? So what do we do instead, right? So we have to think about these things. We also have to think about the the methodology for, for, for the first time we're using simulation to a really huge extent. How are we going to regulate that we're doing safe regula safe simulation yeah? and good simulation and good enough simulation and enough simulation at all? And then the third is that, uh, that what Bernard mentioned is you have a system here that interacts with uh, with its environment. So it's not enough to, in to, 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 to give the system certain requirements. It is important to understand how this interaction takes place and how you can put guardrails to this interaction. Mm -hmm. And Sasha, would you like to add something? So where would you like to see more support or more assistance from the governmental side? I mean, many topics were said already by Bernard and Georg. For me, from the, especially from the development perspective, 
imagining you have two different countries and the legislation is is quite sep is quite different yeah there is no option of driving in with a car autonomously in one country and then you have to stop the car exchange all the central ecus and the software in order to drive in the second country so therefore it's really important to somehow come to a certain standard yeah so that this can be avoided because also it's Especially, I mean, not so much looking at Continental, but looking at the OEMs. Yeah, I mean, they're not selling their cars in only one country. Yeah, they're selling it worldwide. So therefore, really to avoid this development zoo, yeah, to see that we have as much commonalities as possible. Yeah, in order to reduce the engineering efforts, because otherwise that's a price driver, and then nobody can drive um, autonomously. Yeah, so I think that's that, that's for me a, a very important, yeah? and that even. S simple steps before we're talking about AD. Looking also at NCAP yeah, in Nizza, yeah. there's NCAP, there's Nizza, there's a J NCAP, yeah. there are other requirements in China, especially with the scooters. Yeah, The good thing is that somehow, if we look at them, they're getting closer and closer to each other. Yeah, And that's also um, something with, uh, with uh, let's say, basic functionality to say so. And then also on the AD side, that we're really making the step of coming closer together. Yeah? To, in order to re really reduce this effort on the engineering side and to be able to sell the products later on. Thank you very much. Also, again, it's uh, like super honest uh, how you uh, reply to those questions, actually. So like, okay, not everything is working and yeah, not everything is done and a lot needs to be decided, needs to be implemented and developed and so on. So super. Thank you very much for this input. And actually... We are now at a certain point in the podcast where I usually leave the technical topics. So now a question again to all of you on a very, very human level. So ambitious projects are always very challenging and your projects are highly security relevant, so safety relevant. This makes the whole thing not only challenging, but sometimes definitely nerve wracking. So what are the tips and tricks for you to be able to handle the pressure and the responsibility that is on you? Georg, please. <laughs> okay. I don't always sleep well, okay? <laughs> so do I have the best? No, but seriously, I mean, this is the... Okay. What is the best way to think about it? We've said it before. You need to partner with your customer and you need to go on a journey together. And if we agree to go on a journey together, then there is a certain agility that we need to kind of, you know, recenter and find and, you know, improve. But th these things are not going to be landed on the spot where you think they are going to be landed. So as you go, you define this. And, and I, I, I don't want to overemphasize this agility thing, but it is if you trust each other and you're on a journey together, you will you will end up uh, in the right place, I think. Yeah. So that's the main thing. But it remains, it remains still, you know, I do not sleep. And on certain of my friends, projects I do not sleep so well. Thank you very much. We reached really the level of honesty which is beyond <laughs> everything. <laughs> no, it's good. I think I think we're pushing ourselves and we're pushing we're we're you know it, it's actually good to say oh this is not just a walk in the park because I do not want to leave that impression with anybody, right? This is not a walk in the park. This is a tough Absolutely. it's a tough cookie and it's a complex cookie and it's a so you know I have my I have my my teams and my my partners and my customers and we all probably don't Don't sleep all that well. <laughs> I guess we will come to that now. <laughs> Thank you. Sasha, now it's your turn. 
Yeah, it's maybe oh, actually separated in two areas. The one is really what are really the frame conditions under which you are working, so positive or negative stress. Yeah, I mean, if you have great colleagues, and not only great colleagues inside your company, but also together, as Georg said, with partners or customers and so on, yeah, you can go a very long way. Yeah, and you might not sleep well. <laughs> you have to deliver something, but somehow, you, as you said, you're the same journey in the same boat. Yeah? So really great colleagues, a good working culture, yeah, team spirit, something like that. If that is there, that's already, um, in Germany, you would say the high meter. So 50% accomplished. And the other, my, my personal topic is then the balance, yeah, family, friends, music, I play piano, yeah. Oh, also sports. Yeah, it's so so nice uh, to on one side to to rethink, getting new ideas and so on. It's uh, very good uh, then venting some topics as well. Yeah, actually with the piano as well with with the jogging and running, it actually works. Yeah, not defining yourself just as let's say your job role, and so let it go, and also yeah, focus on something else, and then come back with the, some fresh forces. Let's say no. So Bernhard. Yeah, well, I have a, a similar explanation here, and uh, also it's a similar outcome uh, in, in the end. Uh, so, but uh, maybe what what I'm what I'm also seeing, I mean, since we are like developing a text on to very different industries with very different products and so on, it's sometimes who you are talking to guys who have like who are delivering for more than 20 years almost the same product to the same industry. So very established game. You know, if you talk to them uh, in terms of autonomous driving, they have that understanding of the, you know just you know I don't understand autonomous driving. Please explain me that challenge, right? And then you're explaining it to them. And it's like, uh, it, it, you know, since you are dealing that long with it, it comes really easy, you know. Uh, so they, they are under the impression everything is understood, right? It's an, you know, it's just, a, you know, that it's in a very secure game. So explain me that, explain me that, and so on. And he's like, well, you know, there is, you know, for a lot of things, there's not just a standard explanation. It's an, it's a, it's a moving and changing game here, right? So. So it's uh, you know it's 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 tricky. There, so you always have to think about you know, what what kind of path moved paths moved in that game and what is the new constellation, right? So it's it's not the same. You know, sometimes you're waking up the next day and it's like the game has changed, right? Uh, some parts have changed. Uh, so what's what's now the next direction? Right? What what should be the next move? So. It's a little bit off, like it goes into the same direction here. For me, it's a little bit off, like you're standing on one mountain, right? Uh, you're seeing the other mountain. You see where you want to go, right? It's, it's a little bit blurry, blurry, but you see it, right? And now you have to take your way to that valley. The valley is completely foggy, right? You don't see anything. So if you don't move, you won't get there, right? So the, the essential point here is move, right? Uh, move. If you don't, if you do steps in the wrong direction, it's okay. Take them as learning journey, right, uh, and uh, kind of not not as forward, right. That's the important uh, thing, and keep on moving. And if you move with partners, you can move faster because you can profit from their kind of steps into the wrong direction, and you will find that way faster, right. And uh, that that's how how that game is, right. So we we are not nobody has the solution yet, right. So that's kind of uh, how I would describe that kind of journey. And you know, going hand in hand to that foggy valley is easier than to just move alone. That picture is really amazing. I really take that with me, like like seeing in the far that mountain and everything is foggy and you don't know, but you basically start to go and the path occurs. And if you trust your partners, it's even better and easier and more entertaining as well. No? So as, as was said before, like, To, to be able to work, let's say, with somebody who, who makes it more fun is really crucial. So, And now we, we talked about challenges, we talked about technical solutions, we talked about partnerships, collaborations. So, and I really like to end the podcast always on a very positive note. So 
I would like to ask you, I mean, you shared so much with me now, that will be no brainer, let's say, for you to share with me your inspirational life motto. Yes, please now with Georg again. <laughs> You're always the first to go. I don't have. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will take the easy route out. No, it's not the easy route out, but I was surprised. I, I, I kind of, oh, what, what do I say now? I, I would love to say carpe diem or the way is the end or something, yeah, right? It, in, in reality, I don't have. Yeah? Or maybe it's just changing, it's, uh, you know, getting gray hair and all that stuff. Maybe it's just changing now. But when, when I think about it, for me, it, uh, we said it before, right? There is this excitement of the curiosity and, and doing something new. Very cool stuff, right? But I have, <laughs> I, have a, I have a little bit different, maybe. I have this excitement. This, this really turns me on. And maybe it has to do with the sleep thing also. No, but I like this excitement and the curiosity of, of doing something new, but also the combination with something that's sort of a bit more stable, a bit more tradition, a bit more, uh, you know, routine uh, things where, where uh, you, you keep a firm kind of, uh, and, and this also has to do with the personal life then obviously and, and the balance, but the excitement is, is important. And, and on the other side, this, you know, staying with things and, and, and having deep rooted values that, that stay. You might not have an inspirational life model, but you have, at least it occurs like that, that you have really well reflection about yourself. So how you go, <laughs> what, what is inspiring for you and so on. So it seems so at least. So now Sasha, your inspiring life model. Yeah, there's actually one, or maybe, maybe there are actually two. Yeah, one is from Henry Ford. It's it's this: whether you think you can, you can do it, or you can't, you're right. Yeah? Because I really believe in this somehow, to a certain extent, to the self-fulfilling prophecies. It doesn't mean that you should do garbage. Yeah, but if you if you think there is some some solution ahead and you can do it, you just need, let's say, the power and the energy and the people and so on, and then you can really accomplish it. So that really goes in this direction. So whether you think you can do it or you can't, you're right. And then there is this other one, which is quite related to that. What, what Musk once said is this, if something is important enough, even if the odds are against you, you should still do it. Yeah. So really taking this step back, like this electromobility topic, yeah, super important, uh, whether he succeeds or not, you should still do it. And now we've seen how many, including even the German OEMs and other OEMs, how this was a push also towards electromobility. So really, if something is important enough you should still do it yeah and this is also related a bit to this passion of gear guys there's i think there's nothing more interesting than some challenging task which is difficult to be achieved and it can give you so much motivation in doing it and doing this together with teams and people is even more important yeah and this reminds me on one statement this um, statement from our former head of engineering of adas And we retired some years ago. He once said when he was then uh, having his celebration, he said, uh, as an advice to the younger folks, uh, you might not remember all the projects you were doing, but you remember the people and how you were working together. No? So that's something which is, if you were asking about a life model, uh, that's what it is. Yeah. And I could definitely uh, put my signature under both of, of them. So really, really great inspirational life models. And now Bernhard, for you, what, what is inspiring for you? Yeah, so I, I will make it short. I think it's uh, I, I'm taking notes from time to time uh, when I'm finding some some great uh, kind of you know uh, sayings here and then uh, kind of uh, you know putting it down if they fit. Uh, and I think the, the last one I also was putting down. I just looked it up and thought, oh wow, that that, that fits well. I also want to leave it uncommented. It's like uh, the obstacle is the way, and the ego is your enemy. <laughs> yeah, no comment is required. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much to all of you so that you contributed, that you were so super honest, open, and also willing to share so much knowledge, so much view on how it's going to develop, or let's say what, what, what kind of challenges you see, where you see some ways, where you see some collaborations possible. So what is really what is really going on, let's say, behind the scenes? Because we see a lot what is happening in the media, but it's usually a completely different story when you really talk to people and talk in this kind of close round and so on. So what is really visible then? Thank you so much for creating a, a very uh, good forum for us. Uh, we were sitting around the table and, and debating, and, and I really appreciate uh, Sasha and Bernard. I learned a lot, and uh, I have I have now tons of questions to you, but we will take those offline without Ludwila. <laughs> so, so really, thank you for for having me and having this discussion. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks also yeah, from my side yeah, to you, Ludmila, Georg, Bernard. It was really a, a great discussion. I already said we we have to do this every day. Actually, <laughs> that was really good and really a good good discussion. I think processes started. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Thank you. Also, many thanks for me, uh, from my side. Thank you, Ludmilla, for kind of organizing it, putting it into a nice framework, letting us participate in that framework. Thanks to Georg and Sascha for the kind of inspiring talk here. I also have some more questions right now. So, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> not getting to the solution, but to more questions. And it's also some, some scheme you can see here. So thank you very much. And thank you very much for letting me participate here. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode.